Getting ready to turn to the word of the Lord today. Last Sunday, again, a series entitled, He Came, and looked at passage about the fact that Jesus said he came with a sword last week and walked through what that meant. And ultimately, what it meant was this, that he, is, he came not just to bring people together for them to get along, but he came to separate those who love him and commit themselves to him fully from everybody else. Today, you're going to look at a second passage that talks about his coming the first time and why he came. I'm going to read John chapter 6, verses 33 through 40. We'll just use this one. John 6, 33. For the bread of God is that which comes down out of heaven and gives life to the world. Then they said to him, Lord, always give us this bread. Jesus said to them, I am the bread of life. He who comes to me will not hunger, and he who believes in me will never thirst. But I said to you that you have seen me and yet do not believe. All that the Father gives me will come to me. And the one who comes to me I will certainly not cast out. For I have come down from heaven not to do my own will, but the will of him who sent me. This is the will of him who sent me, that of all that he has given me, I lose nothing. But raise it up on the last day, for this is the will of my Father, that everyone who beholds the Son and believes in him will have eternal life, and I myself will raise him up on the the last day. I preach to you for just a little bit on this thought. He came to save us. He came to save us. God bless you. You may be seated. Let's pray though. Lord, I love you. Thank you for your word. Thank you, Lord, for your presence that I feel. And Lord, we have worshiped, we have lifted hands, we have sang, we have played. We have read your word already, and I feel the touch of your presence in this room. I pray, Lord, that you would take everything that we've done already and what we will do the rest of this service, use it to change us, to transform us, to impact our lives, to make us into the people that you have called us to be. And we thank you, Lord, and give you praise in Jesus' name. And everybody said amen. You've probably heard of a trust fall. And a trust fall is defined as an activity in which a person deliberately falls, trusting the members of a group or a person, an individual, to catch them. i got to tell you, I'm not very trusting. I've never done that. I know human nature enough to know that I'd probably let them fall just to see what happened. And so I don't trust them to catch me, but people do it. It's a good team building exercise and if somebody could hit the mute on this mic and that's what happens when the one Sunday the sound man's not here but this this trust fall idea is yeah I'm I'm not sure that I, I like that that concept and if you look on the internet you can find all kinds of ways people do trust falls you can Uh, see different activities, but you can also find an abundance of 
trust fall fails. Anybody ever seen those? You see, it's usually pretty funny or painful, and you're like, Ugh, depending on what happens. There was one I saw, and uh, it was probably staged. I, I doubt it was really, really, you know, like this. This lady is standing on the ed- the bank of a pond or something, and she's looking at the water, and her I think it's her boyfriend is standing behind her, and the goal is that she is going to fall backwards into his arms, and he's going to catch her, and instead of falling backwards, she falls face first into the water. And That's probably staged, but it's pretty funny. And the reality is, though, we have to do these exercises to try to gender trust and try to get trust because everybody knows that you can't always trust people. They're not the most trustworthy that people will let you down. People will disappoint you. Ultimately, your family is going to let you down in some way. Your family will not always be there. Pastors may let you down, even though they may have the best of intentions or maybe they're not really uh, following God. Pastors will let you down. At some point in your life, I'm going to disappoint you. Government will definitely let you down. But God will never let us down. God will never fail us. Even during bad times, he works everything together for our good. So when things happen that are bad and they don't appear to be all that great, and we're thinking that God has let us down, the reality is that he works everything together for good. As Paul would write in Romans, for all things work together for good to those who love God, who are the called according to his purpose, that ultimately, even though it looks bad and it looks negative, we can trust him. We can trust him to do what he said he would do. He is a God who cannot lie. So we can trust him. In our day and time in which we live, there is a question, though, when things happen that are bad and, and, and we're questioning whether we can trust God in our present circumstance or our present situation, can we ultimately trust him to save us for eternity? That when things go wrong here and we're going, oh, I don't know if I can trust him with this little thing, how am I going to trust him with my eternity? When I was in seminary, uh, it was a, I'll just, I was just in seminary. And this particular denomination that was, that was the ownership or the, the uh, people this uh, seminary was affiliated with, there was a big emphasis, emphasis on this assurance of salvation and can we really trust God and will he really save us? What I want to preach to you today is this, that we can trust God not only in our present, but we can trust him with our eternity. And the text that I read to you today is going to give us three ways in which we can trust him or three reasons that we can have confidence in God. Set the the backdrop of this a little bit. This chapter, I've preached on this out of this chapter a couple of times, the preceding uh, verses in the chapter there. It starts with the feeding of the 5,000 where people are hungry and they are needing to be fed and Jesus takes a little boy's fish and bread, his lunch, his lunch for one, and he multiplies it to feed some 5,000 men, not counting women and children, which ultimately means it was 
could have been 20,000 people or more, and he feeds them with this one. He then leaves there because the Bible says he looked at them and he knew that they were wanting to make him king. So he looks at them and decides he is going to Capernaum. But Jesus sends his disciples on the ship on the way to Capernaum, and he doesn't go with them. He later then comes walking on the water, and so we see this miracle. But the people were wanting what Jesus was doing. They were wanting the provision, so they follow him, and they come over to Capernaum where he is, and he says, you didn't come because of the signs. You came for the bread. Now, what he means by that is you didn't come just to see another miracle. And the reality is that the miracles that he's talking about, these signs, they're pointing to who he is as the Messiah. He said, you didn't come so you could recognize me as the Messiah. You came because you were hungry and you were wanting bread. And he says, don't hunger for that bread, but hunger for the bread that will cause you to never thirst again. And that sets us up. This passage, he he then actually takes a little piece and he talks about the manna in the wilderness, how God gave bread from heaven. Then he says, I am the bread who has come down from heaven. So from this text, I'm going to give you three reasons we can live in confidence of our salvation. The first is this, that Jesus promised the spiritually hungry and thirsty will be filled. He has promised that he would take care of those who come to him who are spiritually hungry and thirsty. For the bread of God is that which comes down out of heaven and gives life to the world. He said to them, they said to him, Lord, always give us this bread. And Jesus said to them, I am the bread of life. He who comes to me will not hunger and he who believes in me will never thirst. He declares that he is bread that will never cause people to be hungry again, that when you partake of him and when you come to him for salvation, you will be filled and never hungry again. And he throws a different thing in here as well, and he says, and if you're thirsty, I'm the water as well. That I'm everything you need to be spiritually filled and to be spiritually satiated, and you don't need anything else. In this context, though, what he's saying is, I was like that bread in the wilderness, that manna that didn't run out. He said, I am that bread now. And he uses a couple of variations of words that are important. He who comes to me will not hunger, and he who believes. So the question is this. What does it mean to come to him, and what does it mean to believe And if you look at the Greek, and you probably don't look at the Greek, but just trust me when I tell you that the verbs that he uses for for come and believe, it has the connotation of continuing to come and to continue to believe. That what he is saying is that you can't come to me one time and be okay. You You can't believe on me one time and be okay, but it is an active verb. It is an ongoing process. It is a a present verb. It's It's not a verb in the Greek that means you just do this one time. At some point in time, if you do this, but if you continue to come and you continue to believe that you will never thirst and you will never hunger because I will take care of all of that. 
We live in a world where it is a, in a, in a Christian society, you've heard me talk about this many times, it's a one and done. You say one prayer at some point in your, in your life and mean it. That's the end. That's all you have to do. Your, your ticket is punched. You're going to heaven. You hear the train rumbling to my right. And the way I usually tell people, you know, we, we sing about this train's bound for glory. You get on that train and you can never get off even if you want to. Just one little prayer and one moment of faith. But what Jesus says, it is a continual coming to him, a continual believing in him. And if you do that, you will never hunger and you will never thirst. It's an ongoing process. I'm only 50 years old, so I'm a long way from retirement. I hope. (laughs) Got a lot of things to do. But there is... In, in our, our culture and our, our, our workforce, and, and rightly so, that you can work a certain number of years and then you can retire. And for the rest of your life, you will get money. If you're in the, the private sector, then you have to set money aside. You're, you're having to, you know, you got your uh, 401k and you're putting in and maybe your employer puts in. And if they manage it well, you have a retirement. If they don't manage it well, you might not have a retirement. As they go broke and then you retire and all the money you put in and the money they put in, it's all gone. If you work in the government sector, you get a certain number of years and whether it's military or whatever uh, governmental type job, you can put a certain number of years and then after 20 or so, you can be done. You can walk away and you have a retirement for the rest of your life. The kingdom of God is not like that. It is not put in a little time, five or ten years or twenty years, and I've served God and I've, I've been faithful and then I'm, I'm, I'm done. I'm going to go my own way and he's just going to keep me going to heaven. That's not the way the kingdom works, but he who continues to come and he who continues to believe will never hunger and will never thirst. He is the bread of life, but he's going to run out if you don't keep coming to him. It's not gonna, he's got to bring it to you and stick it in your mouth. You've got to come to him but he promised that if we come and he promised that if we believe which entitles and entails action it's not just a mental ascent i believe certain facts about jesus but i believe those facts therefore i follow him that when we do that we will never hunger and thirst it is his promise to us you can rest assured that if you're coming to him and believing in him and you continue to do that He will save you. The second reason we can have confidence is that Jesus prophesied that many would see and not believe. Well, how is that going to give me confidence? It's going to give us confidence because when we look around us and we see that there are many who, for a period of time, they may seem to follow him or maybe they really do follow him and then they fall away that it's not catching him by surprise he's not going man i don't know what happened i wasn't able to save them he said this is what would happen not only would that be those who would believe him for a little while and then fall away but he said there are many who will just see him and will never believe 
And so when I look at people who may lose out with God who are, or who never come out or, or never come to God in the first place, it doesn't have to shake my faith in his salvation because he said this is what would happen. In fact, he said it was what was happening in his day. He said, many have seen me and they do not believe. They've seen the miracles. They've heard me teach. They've witnessed what I have done. But they choose not to come. Jesus in Matthew 7 would say this, speaking of the future, broad is the way and wide is the gate that leads to destruction. But straight is the way and narrow is the gate that leads to life and few there be that find it. What he has said is that the majority of people will not go on the straight way in the narrow gate. Most people will be on the broad way in the wide gate that leads to destruction. He already said this is what we should expect. So when I look around and this nation which was once considered a Christian nation that is on the verge of being technically classified as non-Christian and as I mentioned last week it's really already non-Christian. It's not because he has failed. It's because he said that's what people would do. The lostness of people is no indication of his failure. In fact, the New Testament would declare that there would be a great falling away. And while we lament the fact that people don't come to Jesus, and our mission is to find as many people as we can who will believe in him and who will come to him for salvation, it doesn't have to shake our confidence and our faith when it doesn't happen or when they haven't done it because Jesus said this would be. And we can always trust what he says. The litmus test is not proclaiming to be a Christian, but experiencing the new birth and living a life of following Jesus Christ. So we have a world of people who say that they believe in Jesus, and what that really means is they believe he existed. It's really about the extent of what most people's belief is. But that's not the test of someone's salvation. The test of their salvation is experiencing the new birth and living a life of following him. And unfortunately, there are times when people turn away from following him when bad things happen. We've talked about this. Jesus said that would happen too. He said, in this life, you will have tribulation. So even trials and trouble and tribulation is no proof of his failure because he said it would come. It's actually proof that you can believe what he has said when it comes. And if he said that and it was true, then when he said he's going to make sure that you make it to heaven if you believe him and you follow him and you continue to do that, it gives us confidence in his salvation. Jesus did a number of things where he, we entitle them hard sayings. It's not just take my yoke upon you and learn of me. It's not that kind of, hey, that's, that feels good. I want to get rid of my burden. Let me come to you. It's stuff like eat my flesh and drink my blood. And they're like, we don't get that. I have no idea what you're talking about. And we'll talk more about that on New Year's Eve. But he says that at one point, and the multitude 
walks away. They all turn and they begin to walk away from Jesus. And he looks at the twelve and he said, will you leave also? We don't get it. We don't understand, Lord. But they knew something the rest of them didn't know. And their response was this, Lord, to whom shall we go? <laughs> even if I don't get it and even if I don't understand, it's the best thing that's going. It's the only hope that we have is that you are the Messiah. And it's, that's our hope today and that's our trust today and our confidence today that he is who he said he is. And he will do what he has said he will do. And we can be confident in the salvation that he has promised us. And thirdly, Jesus proclaimed the assurance of our salvation. I had to look this up. I, sometimes when I'm preaching and you, you see we had the, the promise and the prophecy and the proclamation here already proclaimed. And I, I use alliteration just because I like it. It doesn't make it spiritual. Makes me seem smart. I like to use alliteration, and sometimes I'm using words, and I'm trying to figure out things. And, and I told you we were looking at three reasons we can have confidence in our salvation. So I was looking, and I, I was like, well, I can't put confidence here because you can't have three reasons for confidence, and one of them be confidence. So I, that just wouldn't work. And so I looked up the definitions. I already mentioned to you being in seminary, and there was this big push of these pastors in this other denomination helping their people have this assurance of salvation. And if I could expound on that just a little bit, part of what they were doing is this. It's that the reason people struggled with their salvation and, and wanting to know and having to be convinced that it was real it's because the moment of their salvation, nothing happened. They might pray this 10-word prayer, 20-word prayer, that they didn't even come up with. They're repeating after somebody else. And after saying that prayer, the person will look them in the eye and say, man, now you're going to heaven. Okay, if you say so. Five days down the road, they were like, Man, I don't know, what, am I really going to heaven? Or five weeks or five months or five years, I, well, I got this time when I, I, I said this prayer. So there was a whole big push, and how do you got to convince people that they're really going to heaven? However, when you get saved the way Jesus said to do it, you don't have to convince them because there is something happened. There is not only an emotion that you feel, but you can feel what's going on and you can hear the sound of speaking in a language that you don't know. That it's not just a, an empty exercise. It's not just a repetition of words, but your sins are really being forgiven and they're really being washed away in the waters of baptism and you can feel his accompanying presence and his spirit is really coming to live on the inside of you when you speak in a language that you don't know. 
So I didn't really want to use assurance in that sense, but I got to looking and confidence is the state of being certain. It's a mental state. Assurance is the actions of proving something to be true. So assurance is this active part of me proving something to be true to you. I'm giving you assurance. And after I'm done, you can have this state of confidence. So what Jesus does here is he is giving us and proclaiming the assurance of our salvation. Ultimately, he begins, he begins this with this concept that we will not be cast away. All that the Father gives me will come to me. And the one who comes to me, I will certainly not cast out. Jesus says, if you come and you keep coming, once again, this is a, this is a present active verb. If this is what you're going to do, if you're continuing to follow me and continuing to come to me, he says, I will not cast you out. You can't have assurance, though, if you go, well, I used to serve him. Now I don't. If you continue to serve him and continue to put your faith, your trust, your hope in him, continue to follow him, you can be certain he will not cast you out at that day. We can put our trust in him without question. There is no free trial. You ever signed up for some subscription? 14-day free trial. But put your credit card in first. And what they're wanting you to do is just check this out, but what they're hoping you do is you forget. They don't even care if you like it. Just forget to cancel. There are some... These are the free trials I like. You don't have to put your credit card in. You just get 14 days for free, and then at the end of 14 days, it quits working unless you pay. That's my kind of free trial. But this is not a free trial. Let's just check it out for a little bit. It's not just come and, and tiptoe around and go, yeah, I, I, this Jesus stuff, it's okay. I, this Jesus stuff, you know, it's all right. It's not for me. But I still want to get to heaven. No, but if you keep coming to him, you keep submitting your life to him, he will not cast us out. But it further to assure us, if he's saying, I, I will not cast you out, he speaks of his coming down from heaven. Verse 38, for I have come down from heaven not to do my own will, but the will of him who sent me. He appeals to his origin, and when he says this, I have come down from heaven, what he's really saying is just like that manna came from God. It, it didn't fall out of the clouds. It fell. God created, and it fell. It was from God. He says, I came down from heaven, and that proves his origin, and that also proves his divinity. That proves that he is God because he was there to come down to us. And he didn't come the way they were expecting. He came as a baby that grew into a man. That wasn't what they were expecting. But he came to prove that he was indeed the Messiah. And God cannot lie. His will has always been to redeem people. And it continues to be 
the will of God that people are redeemed. From the fall of Adam and Eve when he promised that there would be the seed of their seed that would crush the head of the serpent, his promise that there would be a Messiah that would come to Abraham when he said, in your seed shall all the nations of the earth be blessed, speaking of the Messiah. It has been his will, and he has been in the process of redeeming people. He reconciled us to himself and has committed unto us the word of reconciliation. He is bringing people into relationship with him. He wants to redeem people. It is not his will that any should perish, but that all should come to repentance. Unfortunately, not all will come to him, but if you come to him in repentance and keep coming, he will save you. Verse 39, he would say it this way, this is the will of him who sent me, that all that he has given me, I will lose nothing but raise it up on the last day. We can be confident that God will not change his mind, for he is the same yesterday, today, and forever. So why do I preach that We can have confidence in his salvation and ending with this idea of this assurance of salvation. It's really to drive home this point that while he desires to save us, we have a role in that salvation. And that role is this, it is to continue to believe and to continue to come to him. It is to allow him to fill us with his spirit, it is to have our sins washed away in the waters of baptism, it is to repent and turn from our sin. And while some who, there are those who struggle to believe that God has saved them, There are plenty of others who don't struggle with that, but should question it. There are those who don't feel saved, and so they're like, Lord, am I really saved? Are you really there? Does this really mean anything? And there are others who are there so confident in their salvation that they really quit following him and quit serving him and they go their own way just going, it's all going to work out in the end. The reality is we can be confident of our salvation but only to the extent that we put everything in it. Only to the extent that we are following him and we are serving him and we are continuing to believe him. He promised the spiritually hungry and thirsty will be filled. He prophesied that many would see and not believe, and he proclaimed the assurance of our salvation. So today, I want you to know, if you have come to him for salvation, if you have put your faith, your trust, your hope in him and him alone, if you have experienced repentance, water baptism in the name of Jesus Christ if you have experienced the infilling of his spirit evidence with speaking a language that you don't know you continue to walk in him and walk with him 
you can be confident of your salvation. It doesn't mean that we'll never make mistakes. It doesn't mean that there won't be times of question or times of doubt. But it just means if we keep coming to Him, He will take us all the way to heaven. We don't have to worry what's going to happen when we die. We can rest assured that we're going to make it to heaven. When I was growing up, people would, preachers, they would ask this question of youth, of the youth group or they'd ask this question. It's really one of the uh, Bill Bright's four spiritual laws. If you were to die today, are you confident that you would go to heaven? As a teenager, I'd be like, I don't know. I'm not sure. In fact, most of the time when that question was asked, nobody would put their hand up. There are a lot of reasons for that. One of which is probably a misunderstanding of God's grace. And thinking, well, man, did I do anything in the last 24 hours or 24 minutes? Man, I have any bad thoughts. I don't know if I can go to heaven. But when I understood His grace and I understood that He's not standing around just waiting on me to mess up so he can erase my name out of the book of life. When I understood what Paul was saying in his letter to Timothy, I know whom I have believed and am confident that he is able to keep that which I have committed unto him against that day. That if I just put my faith in Him and I'm serving Him, and even if I mess up, I'm confident that He's going to take care of me in the end. I'm confident I can spend an eternity with Him. So my admonition to you today is this. If you haven't experienced a new birth, it could be your day. If you haven't been baptized in water in the name of Jesus, today could be your day. But if you've experienced a new birth, if you've repented of your sins, if you've been baptized in the name of Jesus, And if you've been filled with the Holy Ghost, then as long as you're following Him, we can be confident that He will take us all the way to heaven. That whether He comes before we die or we die, He is going to take us there. Would you stand right now? Would you give God praise for His salvation? Jesus, we love you. We thank you that we can put our trust, our faith, our hope in you today. We can do it in you alone, and we can have confidence and assurance, Lord, that you're going to take care of us. God, we love you. We magnify your name, Jesus. If you're grateful for that salvation, would you just come and spend a couple of minutes around this altar giving him praise and glory? God, we love you. We love you, Jesus. We put our faith in you today. God, we trust in you for salvation. We give you glory. We give you honor. We give you praise, Lord. God, we thank you because what you have promised, you will fulfill to us. We thank you, Lord. We magnify your name today. We magnify your name today.